Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now before we get started, I wanted to encourage you to do a couple things. First, if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, um, definitely go check those out in whatever app you're using to listen to me right now. And um, the previous two episodes on um, called the Sunday, the Sunday edition called Branded, which is all about thinking about big tentpole anime series, more like brands than just an IP that a company owns. And this came about with the like rumors flying about Bleach being licensed by Disney Plus and with the arrival of Dragon Ball Super in Fortnite. And I just, it's a way I've thought about anime and particu- particularly anime and video games for a long time. And I thought it was time for me to, you know, drag that out in audio form. <laughs> So definitely go check that out if you're all interested in like just the the way the media market the like market for content is kind of functioning. Um, and definitely go check out my episode all about Inuo, the um, new movie from Science Saru and um, Misaki Yuasa. It's it's a fascinating thing if you. Have the t- I know I know for a fact it's still in theaters because Lauren, hi Lauren, um, actually went to see it last Friday and I went to see it I think the Friday before that or something. Um, but like it's st- it should still be in theaters if you can get to see it. I think it's playing wider now, which is fabulous. Um, definitely go see it. Do not concern yourself with the weird no storytelling. Just like strap in and get ready for the ride kind of thing. Um, but the other, the last thing I want you guys to do, if you would be so inclined, is to go check me out on, go check out the podcast on Instagram. Now I've always had my own Instagram account. You can, you're more than welcome to follow me at Alex Cohan there. But I also now have set up a Instagram account called Lunchbox Radio on one word underscore podcast, which is a Instagram account exclusively for the podcast. It's like entirely anime focused it's and it's not just about like just me promoting the podcast i post like anime stuff i happen upon or stuff that i'm thinking about um in terms of anime all over that thing constantly so go check that out um and lastly if you've been listening for a while and you really like this show i encourage you to share it with others because we're coming up on a big milestone here, at least for me, and that is 100,000 plays. And that doesn't mean much of anything. It's just a fun, big number that says that somebody in the world has pressed play on an episode of this podcast 100,000 times in total. Not like one person, but like a bunch of you guys. Which I sincerely thank you for, and I hope you keep listening. On that note, let's get into what we're talking about today, and that's something a little bit different for this podcast. Because I went to go see Joe Hayasashi in concert at Radio City. Now, for those of you who have been listening for a while, you've probably heard my rant on... How important the sound of the things you watch is, and how important and how differently the 
found it recorded for anime in on the in Japan versus how found it recorded for traditional American animation here. Oftentimes, for traditional American animation at this point, they have like a rough storyboard, but they're recording this anime to the storyboard, and the animation is done. The final animation is usually done with the help of the sound to make everything sync up. Because I don't know if you've ever been watching something and all of a sudden the sound falls out of sync. It doesn't feel as hokey and as fun as it seems in Godzilla. What it actually feels like is it feels like you're like experiencing a cognitive dissonance. It feels like you're having a stroke when you're watching TV. It's a little weird. Um, in case it's never happened to you, in which case your Wi-Fi is God tier and I bow to you. But um, that is to say, but my point there is, is that the soundscape that we experience when we see, when we watch our favorite shows or watch our favorite animated features is really important. Like, stunningly important. Um, a... To get to give you an idea, if you've seen um, Bell, which is out, which is having like a resurgence because it's out in the wild finally, and you've seen Beauty and the Beast, and you see the like shot for shot remake they have of the Beauty and Beast Beauty and the Beast ballroom scene, which is a really famous early piece of computer animation in film. Um, it's this, like, wild scene, and you've, like, you've, it helps you kind of know exactly what, um, what's the, what the, what the film is going for in that moment. It's telling you, like, this is Beauty and the Beast, but it's also telling you this is not Beauty and the Beast by not having the same soundscape as Beauty and the Beast, like, at all. <laughs> and so... What I'm trying to say here is, when you watch a Studio Ghibli movie, there's certain sounds that stick out to you when the first time you watch it and the 20th time you watch it. And I say 20th time you watch it because I've probably seen Prince Monoki at least 20 times, um, and that will, that will that came back to me in this in what we're talking about here. But the soundscape and, like, the the vibe is basically the best way to put it. The vibe that the sound gives you, gives the scene, is really important. That, like, boom, 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 at the beginning of Princess Mononoke is, like... It takes you to a place. And it makes you sit in that place. The like weird, lazy Italian jazz of Polcaroso does the same thing. Um, the like a, a serial, almost harp like moments of um, in Spirit Away do the same thing. The like. Of Princess Monoki, of um 
Spirit Away, do do that as well. All of this stuff puts you in the place the film the makers of the film that Studio Ghibli want you to be in. And largely the person responsible for scoring for scoring and conducting the score of much of Studio Ghibli's work is a man by the name of Joe Hayasashi, or Hayasashi Joe, if you want to be proper in Japanese about it. And he's done this a bunch of times, and lots of, and lots of different popular media have done this, especially in the Japanese like sphere of things. You can go and you can hear an orchestra play the songs of Zelda. You can go and hear an orchestra play the songs of many many different video games and the and you can also go hear concerts for like all for like off the hook or the squid sisters i'm sure you'll be able to go um hear concerts of deep cut if you really want to in terms of splatoon um nintendo is a kind of chronic user of the nostalgia bait of their own music to like just wring a little bit more money out of you. Just get some blood out of that stone, so to speak. But I and I'd always I'd always seen these things online. Like I would occasionally bump up against the Zelda Symphonic concert online, and it always looked fun and always looked great. And I was hanging out, and somebody like tapped me on the shoulder, and was like, "Hey, do you know this is happening?" And I was like, "No, I didn't." What what do tickets cost? And like I looked at tickets, and tickets were very affordable. Like they were in like the nosebleed section, but they were very affordable. And I was just like, "There's no reason I shouldn't go to this." And so like I got gutsied up by like put on one of my many fancy watches. Thank you, Lauren, for making me feel bougie. Um, and I. Went to go see Joe Hayasashi, Joe Hayasashi at Radio City. Now, when I signed up for this, I signed up for it like I went on when I went on the Wednesday. I went on Wednesday the seventeenth. I signed up on Sunday, on I think Saturday the thirteenth. Wait, I did not. And I went, and also I went through Ticketmaster. I didn't go through. Um, like a third party, like I've, I've got Gorilla's tickets through a third party and that's been a continuing happening for, since I bought the tickets basically, like eventually those tickets should show up, but God knows. Um, God damn it. Um, but I went through Ticketmaster and like, I, I didn't actually pay that much like gratuity fees because I wasn't sitting in like the $300 seats. I was sitting in like the $60 seats. Not kidding. But the thing that's really great about, um, first, I want to give a huge shout out to Radio City Music Hall. I've not been in Radio City Music Hall since I went there at, and this is a common East Coast kid experience, so I'm not the only person that had done this. I've not been in Radio City Music Hall since I went to see the Rockettes when I was like six. <laughs> Which is an experience and it's fun. But it's the Rockettes. Like, it happens every year. It's not, like, a big musical event. So, first off, the venue of Radio City Music Hall 
It's like an art deco dreamscape. It's incredible. It like no matter how many people in that damn venue, and there were a lot of people in this damn venue because the show I went to see was sold out because I intentionally picked the last night because I had like a thing the other two days. So I was like, I don't want to overcrowd myself. So I'll go on the 17th and not an empty seat in the house. And it was incredible. And it was incredible for a bunch of reasons. The first incredible thing was like, I've seen all the Studio Ghibli movies. I knew all the music. It was, and it it was absolutely amazing to hear it played, to like hear it played and hear and see what would went into it. So, but the, there were a couple really interesting things. The first really interesting thing that happened was when they got to the section that was Pocoroso. So, th- this huge orchestra is assembled. It got, like... Two sections of choirs. It's got a children's choir and an adult choir. Because, you know, somebody's got to sing the Totoro song. Um, I, which is sheared into my brain in a way. Like, I'm very happy to have it there. But also, it is not leaving. And it's great. I've Since the 17th, I've just been walking around being like, Totoro, 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 Totoro. Like a psycho. Um... And it's great. But, like... So they have this big orchestra. And then they get to... And the way this show worked was they they went... I don't think they went chronologically. Although they might have. I'm not great with the chronology of when those films came out. Um, they... In fact, I'm pretty sure they didn't go chronologically chronologically because the wind rises was in the middle there somewhere but what they would do is they would play the song and would have clips from each film playing in the background so they started with Navica which is like a very like bass heavy dramatic thing and it's a real crowd pleaser and they had clips from Navica in the background but when they got to Pocoroso the thing that was fascinating was a bunch of, like, the... A bunch of section leaders from, like, the string section and the horn section. And, like, all these different section leaders just came up to the front. And they played the Totoro. The, like, Totoro... The, um... Not Totoro. The, um... The... Pocoroso section. Nobody else did. And it was, like, this weird, lazy Italian jazz time that was just fun as shit for like a couple minutes and it was it was delightful but it was also really funny because it was very clear like well we paid all these musicians but we only need like these five for Pocoroso we did not have a big studio when we made Pocoroso um so that was that was a really that was a huge great highlight a much funnier highlight was when they got to the wind rises. So this entire time, a, a thing you should know about Radio City Music Hall is like many concert venues, I'm sure at this point, they technically forbid 
recording devices. I I posted pictures of this thing all over Instagram. I'm sure they had ushers looking out for recording devices on the like bottom in like the orchestra pit section where you're paying three hundred dollars per ticket. Cause that's like a lifetime. That's like a I paid for this ticket, and part of me paying for this value means that I don't get to take this value with me later. <laughs> if that makes any sense, it's like it's this time, it's this experience. I don't get to just like whole heart whole hog pull this out and like watch it on my big screen TV after the fact. Unless I want to pay for the concert video, which I'm sure there's a concert video that will come out of this. But the other thing that happened was in the in in the mezzanines, I was in the third I was in the highest mezzanine, which I wanna be clear, they put they have giant screens in Radio City, so it does not really matter where you're sitting unless you really want to be in the orchestra pit and you want that, like, big-time experience. You see the whole thing. You, like, you see it. And, like, yes, they choreograph it a little because they're interspersing it with, like, scenes from Princess Monoki when they were playing the Princess Monoki music. But they make sure to focus in on, like, the performers... And they, like, pick great performers to focus in on. Like, you, I, I think there's a shot on my Instagram of, like, literally Joe Hasashi. Joe ha- Hayasashi is on screen. And he is just, like, the happiest man on the planet. The happiest 71-year-old who ever stayed up way past his bedtime. Um, and so, like, that's not a big deal. And they, like, just for... Just so you know, if you ever want to go to something in Radio City, if you're up in the mezzanines, your seat will probably say obstructed view. That is literally because they are not confident that the, they want to hedge for if the LA Lakers sit in front of you. Which the LA Lakers are probably not going to sit in front of you, so you'll be fine. You'll see fucking everything. It's fine. Um, But the... The the part with um, the wind rises was the one part of the of the performance. Well, like nobody really clapped. Nobody like there were two there was two Chinese women next to me, and they recorded most of the concert on their iPhone, and they put their phones down for that one. Every everybody seems to universally agree, like. Yeah, The Wind Rises was fucking weird. It was more a movie about Miyazaki and, like, his being a bad father than anything else. And also, isn't it about a World War, like, the kamikaze plane designer for the Japanese army in World War... What the fuck? And, like, it was was just very funny that, like, that was, like, the moment when everybody was like, Ah, maybe fuck off. (laughs) Maybe we don't like The Wind Rises. Maybe The Wind Rises, eh... It's pretty, but it's not... doesn't make you feel good at the end. That's for sure. But, on that note, see... The, another great thing that happened is... I'm convinced. I'm absolutely convinced of this. Studio Ghibli and everybody involved in Studio Ghibli must love Ponyo to pieces. 
Like, they must love it. Because at every point, they're like, but what if the promo shot had a Ponyo scene in it? And it's just, it's, it's hilarious. The promo, the, like, the promo image they put on the outside of Radium City Music Hall, in addition to Sold Out, which was really fun to see, was an image of the little boy from Ponyo, like, underwater. I was like on the had on the screen probably in like the um, rehearsal performance. It was I'm just like so many people are gonna be like yeah that's Ponyo but like not that's not the best one like if you wanna sell fucking tickets you put Son the Wolf Girl up there you go for it <laughs> or you put Chihiro on there you go for it but no we put the main character from Ponyo on it. Because fuck you, we like Ponyo. And that section was really fun. And then we got the Spirit Away. And they brought out, and whenever there were like specific sung parts, they brought out a singer. But a Spirit Away, they brought out a different singer. And this different singer ended up being, I think she was probably in her 40s. I forget the singer's names, like. But. At the end of her performing, as if to, like, cement her embarrassment, Joe Hayasashi, in the only time he ever, like, said words, which is great, because he played piano and he conducted beautifully, but he never, but he only ever spoke once. He just leans off stage and as loud as he can muster, screams, That's my daughter! In the most I'm the proudest dad to ever dad way ever. And it was great. And like the camera caught her like rushing off stage like, ah, oh, damn it, he's doing it again. He's done it all three nights. Why the fuck can't he stop? And then the last thing, the last thing, the reason I got home from this um, symphony concert in Radio City at two in the morning was he came out for three encores. Which is wild. And he came up for three encores. Two of which were probably planned. Because like he had, they had footage prepared for two of them. But one of which was definitely not. One of which was like, oh they want me out here again, let's goddamn go. And it was just like the... The experience of hearing all of that music... Live and in person, it performed by and conducted by the person who created it was incredible. And it, it there's a big culture of appreciating like the like ephemera that creates anime in anime fandom. Like there's a big culture of like loving OVAs and EDs. And uh, not OVAs, OPs and EDs. And also the uh, anime music video, like, scene. Um, but, and, and in addition to there being whole shows just about music and music culture. And so it, it really, if you've ever, if you ever get the chance to go to a performance like this. He's in his 70s, so I'm sure he's slowed down a lot, but it's not like the guy's dead yet. 
But if you ever get a chance to go to one of these for Theater Ghibli or a show or a film you really like, I really encourage you to do it because it's it's really worth it just to like hear, to like hear your fa- to like hear the soundscape of your favorite things in that way. I mean, I I can't tell you how fucked up the Princess Mononoke section of this symphony performance got me. Like, I was just like, I went from like having a great time to having like a religious fucking experience to hearing the overdub of the English of the English voice at the beginning of that movie of the of that film in my head as I was hearing boom boom and it was just it's like we think of and I've probably talked about this a bunch on this podcast but we think in some way shape or form but we think of anime as this thing that it is and that is this like existence of pop culture and we think of all pop culture that way but the reality is that all pop culture is created by us and other people in like a creative capacity if you look at the if you look at the nightmare that's happening with HBO Max right now, which if you don't know anything about HBO Max, uh, what's happening with HBO Max, they essentially got bought by um, Warner by Warner Discovery and are being like just rendered for fat for a bunch of different reasons, but primarily as a tax write-off scenario, which sucks. Say what you will about American Pickle. Somebody had to produce that movie. And the reason why I'm picking on American Pickle is because it recently got dropped from the service. And it was an HBO Max original. Which means it that's the only place you were going to see it. Kind of ever. And the long and short of it is, is that like the reason why you wouldn't see it anywhere else is because it was made by and for HBO. And then a new person comes along and says, this art that you made is no longer something I want us to pay for. So we're going to drop it. And if you look at conservation efforts all over the, all of the media, the like media sphere, um, most recently, actually, the um, if you are unaware, they found somebody on YouTube found the 17-minute pilot episode for Saban Moon. If you don't know what Saban Moon is, basically, um, long and short of it is, um, before Sailor Moon was licensed to be released in Canada and the United States, they attempted to remake Sailor Moon for an American audience and like horribly attempted and like they've like changed character races all the characters went from looking like teenage girl to looking like hot 20 supermodels except one was in a wheelchair and surprise she's a Latina now um I think they did that to Sailor Mercury maybe but the Saban Moon is fucking wild is what I'm telling you but at the end of the day like 
some shithead was like, well, we don't have to make the, like, stupid oriental. We don't have, like, if we can just make this cartoon, we don't have to air the stupid orientalist thing with, like, lady, with, like, ladyboys and, like, gay sex in it. Which, be clear, they had openly transgendered characters in Sailor Moon. They had, you know, like, openly same-sex relationship. Shit that you would get in trouble for denying now. But because it was the 90s and a bunch of old white men, they were just the biggest piece of shit about it. But at the end of the day, like, somebody had to draw, because it was the 90s, that cartoon. Somebody had to do those effects. And the reason why anybody knew about Saban Moon largely in the first place was because one of the people who worked on it kept the music, like, figured out how to keep the music video after it premiered. And, like, showed it to an anime con later on. And everybody was like, what the fuck is this thing? And then the hunt began. What I'm trying to say here is that all this stuff we're watching, all this stuff I talk about, and part of the reason why I do talk about this is that it's all a creative endeavor. The, all the results of a creative endeavor. And it's easy to forget that when you, like, pop in a DVD, that you, pop in a Blu-ray that you paid, like, anywhere from 20 to 80 bucks for, and you watch the thing, and you fall asleep in the middle. And then you wake up, and you watch the rest of it. There's a tendency to make this stuff feel consumerist. And there's this tendency to make the stuff that they can't figure out how to feel consumerist be so expensive that it feels prohibitive. I looked at the um, lower seats in, um, in this, and they were like $300. When I went to buy tickets for the gorillas, my ticket, which was in, like, the nosebleed section, again, was, like, in the 300 range. And the reason why they charge that kind of money for Joe Hisashi at the best seats and the gorillas at kind of the worst, at almost the worst, is that they want to... Is that they want to maximize the amount of money they can get for the experience for a bunch of reasons. But at the end of the day, like, you are paying to go see art. And even if you pay, you know, 26 bucks for a Blu-ray or 7 bucks a month for a Crunchyroll subscription or whatever it costs now. For a basic Crunchyroll subscription. You are paying to access art. And you are reinforcing the value of that art. But the way that everybody treats it is very consumerist and the motives that get that art greenlit and made oftentimes are very consumerist. So something that happened pretty recently is another dump of content went on the Crunchyroll servers. And in that dump of content was a, um, a, at this point I'm sure little known, but uh, at one point 
very well known, especially in the early '90s and early, in the mid to late '90s and early 2000s. Um, shoujo romance rom-com show called Peach Girl, or probably more rom-com slash drama. But I noticed later that for the first time, Peach Girl has existed for a long time. It is from the 90s. It is from the early aughts. It looks like it, too. All of a sudden, they posted a screenshot from Peach Girl on Crunchyroll's Instagram. Now, nothing has changed here. The relevance and importance of Peach Girl has not changed. The difference is, now Crunchyroll has a license to it. Now, Crunchyroll had, put, had posted stuff from other anime before, but it suddenly occurred to me, like, oh, they've really only posted things from the anime that's on their site. Now, whether that be they don't have the license to use, foot, to use footage from anime they don't have the license to, or the... Or it is a conscious marketing decision of, like, and this is not necessarily in bad faith of if we're going to post any kind of footage of something, people better be able to go to our website and click play on a thing and be satisfied by that. But the reality is fans don't work like that. Fans of Peach Girl, A, are probably significantly older than a typical Crunchyroll crowd, but B, are probably... Aware, oh, hey, that's on Funimation. Or. So it's this, like, weird dichotomy that we're constantly asked to exist in of, like, you love this art. You're willing to pay for this art. But we are going to set up barriers to try and squeeze the most money out of this art as humanly possible. And in many cases, if you can pay a small, like a small amount of money, like like I did, like I gave sixty bucks to Radio City to Ticketmaster, and they gave me seats to the show. They gave me a seat to the show, and I got to get like kind of as close as I'll probably ever get to like the human who composed the soundtrack to the soundtrack to one of my favorite movies to. My, probably my favorite movie of all time, Prince Monoki. That's worth it. It sucks that, like, people are like, hey, um, we're giving these tickets out until there's none left. And if you get one, you get one. Cool. It sucks that, like, the artifice exists around it. But every once in a while, you have to sacrifice just little enough of your soul where it's probably worth it. And th- this was definitely one of those cases. And I... The other thing about these kinds of symphonic experiences is... One of the big um, accomplishments of Marvel... And they've done... And like Marvel under Disney had done a lot to make movies worse. One of the big compliments of Marvel is that they 
normalize the post-credit scene that matters, that has consequence. In TV, the way they used to do this is they used to is they used to do like, and you can still go see this in streaming that feels more in like the first pilot episode of a streaming property. They'll usually show you like a short trailer at the very end after the credits. But by doing that post-credit scene, they forced everybody to sit through the credits. Uh, even though they're on their phone, uh, odds were good they see an actor, they see a, like a production crew's name or something like that. They see the names that made the thing. They'd see, they'd see the artist's signature, so to speak. And that was a big problem before Marvel movies, and it continued to be with uh, with movies that are not Marvel movies. People to leave, and it's easy to forget that you don't that like these people do all this work and they get paid probably very well for it, probably well enough to live for it, but they don't get any of the recognition for. The things you remember that they are responsible for. This, the, the sound of Spirited Away. The sound of Prince Monoki. The, the Totoro, Totoro of Totoro. The sound of Kiki Delivery Service. It's all things that I say those things and you know what I'm talking about. If you've seen those movies, you can hear it in your head. You can hear the little ethereal moments from Prince, from Spirited Away in the back of your mind right now. I'm sure of it. And these concert, concerts like this are an opportunity for the artists responsible for making those things, for making the things that stick in your brain, to go out and take maximalist credit for it. In, in a way that, like, an actor or even a voice actor gets to all the time. I mean, you, you look at... You look at all the actors who have been in the Marvel stuff. You look at Robert Downey Jr. People look at him and they see Tony Stark. You look at, um... Chris Hemsworth. They look at him and they see Thor. That means something different than when he started playing Thor, but you get the point. You look at, um... You, you look at any actor and they see the parts they play and those actors instantly get that recognition. But does the, but the big question is, how does the conductor who scored the Batman movie, the Batgirl movie that just got scrapped by HBO Max, get any kind of personal recognition moment for that film, for, for that work? He probably won't, and it sucks. He also won't get professional recognition for it. That's the other side of this: is these concerts give these creative people like an out, a professional outlet where they are both recognized and paid specifically for their work, not paid for, you know, not paid and put in the and put in the and put in the line for like soundtrack pursuit but per soundtrack scored by Joe Hayasashi here he's it's 
What was the name of the thing? Um, it was Joe Hayashi's symphony performance at symphony at Radio City Music Hall. That's like a dream of a performance venue, like log line title, the whole line. And these people deserve that kind of recognition. It, they deserve the like. They deserve a moment to see who they've affected, to see what they've done. Because, and I know this from doing creative work, it, so much of your work you just kind of put out into the world and you don't see again. And like it doesn't affect you. You don't, it doesn't become important. Um, or it gets lost. And it was just, it was nice for me to be able to, like, give some money, go go give that recognition, go receive an incredible experience. And I certainly encourage anyone listening to this who's like, oh, I should really do that. Go do that. It's probably cheaper than you imagine. And even if it's a little bit pricier, it's probably worth it. So, um... And I know the ticketing system of going to see live events is a piece of shit. I signed up for Anime NYC. They mailed me my badge like two, like a month and a half ago. It's sitting on my bar. It's not going to move. That thing is in November. That's insane. But that should tell you how valuable this stuff is. That they've created such artifice around it to like, and p thousands, millions of people put up with that artifice to get at it, <laughs> to get at these events. And on that note, if you like this podcast, new episodes of podcast come out every Thursday and every other Sunday. Um, Thursday is more like this, more me talking about a, but usually it's about a show or a film and the every other Sunday shows are what I call my the um, Sunday editions, and they're more metatextual. They're about um, the industry thoughts I have about fandom or anime as a medium or as a cultural thing. So definitely give those a listen to. And on that note, if you if you'd be so bold as to share this with your friends so we can get so I can get this thing to a hundred thousand listens and feel like a pang of serotonin, um, then that would be great. And also consider following the podcast on Instagram at Lunchbox Radio, all lowercase, all one word, underscore podcast. All lowercase. On that note, I've been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio. I will talk to you on Thursday.